0: Welcome back to the Whale Nerds Podcast. This is episode 139 and my name is Caitlin. Uh, Just checking in again before I head back out to sea for the last part of my Alaska season. I've been uh, on a short break but very very busy in between my rotations on the ship and I'm about to uh, switch over to the sister vessel of the ship I've been on all summer so far which was the Roald Amundsen. I'm going to get on the Free off Nansen tomorrow, so I'm recording this from a hotel in Anchorage, and I'm very near to the airport, so I apologize if there are plane and car and whatever else noises um, in the hotel, but just wanted to kind of get all these things out of my brain about what we saw and did during our longer routes this summer um, before I get on to the next part of the rotation and get everything all kind of jumbled up because some really cool stuff happened on the Aleutians route on Amundsen so it was really good three cruises Um, it was pretty long rotation I definitely needed some time to decompress afterwards Um, and it ended with a little bit of bad weather and kind of change of plans at the last minute but everything went fine Um, so the route that I was just working in July and August is from No uh, Vancouver to Nome, so it went up and down three times. So northbound twice and southbound once in the middle, and really it was in the thick of the summer season for Alaska. It was really really incredible. But before I get into that, I do want to go through a few updates, and then I'll talk more about um, my whole Alaska season. So first and foremost, I want to say thank you to all of you for sticking with the podcast if you're still listening. Um, Or if you just jump around episodes when you feel like it, that's certainly appreciated. I really, really appreciate you guys following along for the last couple years. And even though we have a much more limited recording schedule this year, I still really appreciate your support, whether that's listening or rating or reviewing or sharing the podcast with a friend, supporting us on Patreon, Um, those of you that came on trips the past couple years, that's all super, super um, appreciative from, from me and from Slater. Um, for supporting the podcast and supporting our work. Um, It's not free to make the podcast so anything you can do to support us we really really appreciate it even if it's just listening because that just helps people find the podcast too. So uh, this year because of Slater and I's work schedules we have a much more reduced recording schedule. Originally we were aiming to do like to a month, but, um, being on the ship and having really limited access to Wi-Fi and just also just really, really long days on the ship. And then Slater's running his own business. Um, is more like once every six weeks. (laughs) So I'm sorry about that. Hopefully as, um, we approach the fall and the winter, maybe we'll be able to record more, but I actually don't really have a plan for this winter. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but, um, Yeah, we'll just do it when we can and talk about things that are interesting and talk about what we're doing. And if you have anything you're curious about or you want to hear about for topics, you're always welcome to reach out to us. Send us a message on uh, Instagram or Facebook. It's at Nerds, or you can always email us, whalenerds at gmail.com. We do have updates and things on our website, and we have merch, and we have a blog. And so if you want to keep up with those kind of things... Uh, feel free to check it out. It's thewhalenerds.com. And then we also have video versions of our episodes from episode 100 onward on our YouTube channel. So if you want to watch a video version of this, if you want to see um, my super stellar hotel room in Anchorage, um, that's what's the background of this video because I don't have Wi-Fi to do it with the whale nerds background. Anyways, <laughs> um, the reason why I'm not sure what my winter plan is. If you have been following the news, or if you have not been following the news, but you have been on social media all the last couple of weeks, you'll know that um, Maui had a huge disastrous set of fires. Um, particularly on the west side in Lahaina, it destroyed the whole main area of Lahaina where people live, where we work, the harbor, and um, A lot of people have died it's been really really awful it was really hard to watch it all happen while i was on the ship and a a place that i really love and people that i care about are really devastated right now so i don't think i'm gonna go back to maui this year for whale season because Uh, Lahaina Harbor is not going to be operable by the winter and all of our Lahaina crew have pretty much lost everything and their jobs their houses and um, tourism is a tricky thing in the midst of a crisis because while Maui's entire economy basically is reliant on Tourism, they really need some space to heal, and so what do you, how do you walk that line, and um, so I don't want to take work away from anybody, and I just want to support as best I can from afar, and um, leave the work for the crew that's there trying to recover, and trying to make it, and I'm I'm super proud of all the boat companies that really stepped up after the fire, and they got people things that they needed. Um, before the government could. And the whole thing really has just been pretty unreal. And I, I'm i not really sure what's next. I'm also not really sure how to talk about it yet, but just felt like it should be mentioned since it was such a big thing for everybody there and for everybody that loves it there. The whales are still going to swim there, obviously. Um, what we do on land doesn't really make a big difference to their decision making process. It does affect them, um, but they're still going to do their migration as usual. There will still be whale watching out of Ma'alaya and Kihei. And, you know, we'll see how things go over the next couple months. I mean, maybe things will start to have some real progress um, and some recovery, and the island will. Um, function a little better for locals in the midst of this but yeah might be the first year in a long time where um, I don't go and maybe Slater doesn't go either to visit Maui for whale season but it's hard to say what's going to happen but I'm not really planning on it right now. It doesn't mean you shouldn't travel there just be really mindful if you do and you know, support the locals as much as you can, and just be really respectful of the fact that they're they're hurting. And if you're feeling compelled to help in any way, um, there's a couple really good funds that are distributing money directly to people um, through a couple different organizations like United Way. Um, one, I think, is called Maui Strong or Maui Community Strong, the People's Fund of Maui. And so those are good ways to help out from afar as well. Um, Pacific Whale Foundation also has, um, three I think, three different funds you can donate to. Some goes directly to the community, some goes towards the environment, some goes towards our crew. Um... Some other boat crews have had opportunities for you to support them directly as well if you have a boat crew that you like going out with that you want to support. Um, people have been doing that through GoFundMe and Venmo. and So what whatever you think is best for you and what you can uh, give to support or um, travel responsibly or whatever you think is the best for you and your situation. Um, and that was a lot harder to talk about than I was expecting so (laughs) thank you for bearing with me through that so let's talk about um Alaska and I think last time I talked about my summer trip was a little all over the place trying to like keep the north bounds and the south bounds straight I think it might be easier to just go by places where we went to port or had operations. Maybe that's the easier way to do it. So the trip either starts or ends in Nome or Vancouver, so it can start on the south end and go north and talk about different locations. So Vancouver, obviously, um, where we pick up the guests and we start to sail out through the inside passage of British Columbia. Um, the trickiest part of Going through the inside passage of British Columbia is the Seymour Narrows, which is just north of Campbell River, where a couple of my friends have moved to that I used to work with in Monterey, and so it's been kind of funny to text them every time we're going through and just tell them, like, oh, we're going to pass by during daylight, or oh, it's going to be the middle of the night, or whatever it is. Um, One time they actually drove their car down to the beach and waved at me, and I could see them through binoculars, which is pretty funny, so... Um, And actually, going past Campbell River is where we saw the Hokulea. So the Hokulea is a traditional um, voyaging canoe from the Polynesian Voyaging Society located on Oahu. And they have been sailing through Alaska and now are working their way south. Um, At the time of recording this, the first week of September, they are in Tacoma with today or within the next few days, and they're going to start working their way down the west coast of the U.S. from there. So, they went through the Salish Sea area. Um, oh, excuse me, not Tacoma, Port Townsend. So, they've already been to Tacoma, which is like the south end of the uh, Puget Sound area. They're going back out and working their way out towards the open ocean. I don't really know what all their stops are, but they do post updates on their website, which is hokulea.com or um, you can follow them on social media. Their Instagram is at Hokulea Crew, and I'll tag their website in the Facebook post when I put the show notes up, um, which hopefully will be right away, but might be a little while, so sorry about that. Um, But, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, We're coming towards Campbell River, and I saw – it was, like, really backlit, and I saw a sailboat with two masts, and it took me a second to, like, process, and I was like, wait, that's the Hokulea, and they were getting towed. So they had gone through the Seymour Narrows at the same time as us because you have to go through during the slack water because it's so narrow that our ship, if it got turned sideways in there, almost wouldn't fit the long way through the Narrows. So, um, and if you are interested in, like, nerdy stuff about maritime history, um the seymour narrows area i think it used to be called ripple rock and a lot of things in the campbell river area are still called ripple rock because it had um a really really shallow part of its passage and it would ships would regularly wreck there and so they actually blasted the seafloor like blew up the seafloor so that ships could pass through there more easily but the current is still so strong that you have to time it at the slack water, otherwise you're not gonna make it. So um, that's always a tricky challenge for timing for our trips, um, but it is pretty cool that we went through um, probably just behind the Hokulea, like we probably had been behind them the whole time, but I couldn't see them because there's a lot of twists and turns in the channel. And then we caught up to them on the south side of the Narrows once we both passed through. So it was pretty cool to see them i was so um i felt so bummed because the ship saw the hokulea port, like got to go visit the canoe one of the trips that i was off rotation and i was like oh man like i missed my chance like maybe we won't see him again and then it just lined up perfectly that they had been leaving alert bay the same day as us and so we the timing worked out really well so um we have seen whales on the inside passage of british columbia on almost every trip, and then we had really, really amazing sightings in the passage between Haida Gwaii and the main part of um, the British Columbia coast. And uh, on the map, it's called Queen Charlotte Sound that stretch of water. Um, one of the southbounds, there were hundreds of whales like, literally, hundreds of whales, and it was glassy, flat, calm. It was like dreamy it was so beautiful and metallic and like the lighting was moody and orange some of that was from the fires which is unfortunate but man it made for beautiful beautiful conditions and um, we were in such a hurry to get to the narrows that night that we couldn't deviate off course but like through the binoculars and through the camera it was just like there were groups of like eight plus fin whales and then there were like groups of five humpbacks and then another five humpbacks and then three fin whales and then there were killer whales in the middle of it. It was just like all those like weird whale rumors I've heard off of Haida Gwaii were just like all instantly validated in one night. I was like this is a magical place like I just want to move here like this is can we live in this minute forever like this is so incredible and even though we didn't really get To get close to them, we didn't have time to look at them. It was still just like so amazing. Like it was just like I I hope there's still whales there on our way back down because it's later in the season, but it's also much further south than the rest of our route. So I'm hopeful that there will still be quite a few whales when we get there. Probably by like the third week of September we'll be there. And uh, I also hope that the weather's nice um, because that can be a little bit of a tough stretch of water. Um, not nece- I'm not necessarily worried about, like, the sea conditions in that area, but there was thousands, probably tens of thousands of crab traps, and so that makes it stressful for navigation, and also is a lot of things where you're like, oh, is that a whale? No, it's another crab trap. <laughs> um, yeah, it kind of reminded me of, like, the lobster pots in New England when they're at their thickest, like, it was i'm I'm pretty sure we ran a couple over like there's just no other way like the navigation team did a great job but like holy moly there was so many crab traps and as we approach winter season like there's going to be more of them unless there's like tomoic acid or something like there's going to be more so um yeah so it'd be interesting um on the last northbound through Queen Charlotte Sound, we had a say whale, like definitely confirmed, got photos of its head, got good photos of the dorsal fin, definitely a say whale, which was really cool. Um, and that sighting, it was like there were some humpbacks. And then I saw in the distance in the binoculars, there were killer whales. And we had really beautiful passive killer whales down the side of the ship. And then this, we came across like a current rip and there was a bunch of debris in the water. And then this whale popped up. And I saw its dorsal fin and I was like, what? That is not a fin whale. And because it was so calm, it just like made this perfect little bow wave away from its head. And you could see on the right side that the lower jaw was dark gray. And so, um, definitely had a say whale, which was super cool. So then as we go north, our first stop after we leave Vancouver, like our first operational location is Misty Fjords. Um, and that's by like the Dixon entrance um, between the Canada and the U.S. border. So sometimes we have uh, we have to have a border patrol officer come on the boat. And so that can hang up our schedule. Luckily, the last couple trips, it wasn't a big deal to do our uh, passport checks with the agent on board. It didn't really hang up operations too much. We did have one trip where we were in there at like 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> It was the mistiest Misty Fjords cruise of the whole season because it was so, so early in the morning and it was raining and it was misty. I mean, it was magical and it was really beautiful, but like it was 6 a.m. to start cruising. Like that meant we had to be ready before that. I was like, do we need nav lights for this? Luckily it was light enough, but um, we don't really see like a whole lot of marine mammal action in Misty Fjords typically uh sometimes harbor seals but we did see river otters which was really cool i've never that was my first river otter encounter and i if i hadn't had them pointed out to me by another guide i would have never seen them there was six of them swimming around right by the waterfall but they're just so stealthy right up against the rock wall that i just never even saw them and so it was really cool they climbed up on the rocks for a second all the guests saw them and then they dove back in and kept swimming um It was really hard to get photos and stuff. I didn't even take my camera because it was raining and it was dark out. And I got a really, really horrible cell phone video. (laughs) But it was like a proof of life thing, you know? And um, there's a bald eagle nest in there too. And I think the chick will probably be fledged this time when we get there. Because it won't be for another like 10 days probably, 12 days, something like that before we get there. Um, but probably you will still be hanging around the nest site, so that'll be cool. We got to watch a ball, baby bald eagle grow up this summer in Misty Fjords. And then from there is Wrangell, um, which I have mixed feelings about. <laughs> but um, we've kind of changed our operational plan in Wrangell because our beach landing excursion is a little tough, and it's super, super vulnerable to poor weather. So... Um, We've sort of changed it to like a walking tour where people get to experience the town of Wrangell, but since, I think, since July, so every single one of our trips on this last rotation had phenomenal um, whale sightings on the shore excursion from there. So there's a jet boat tour that goes from there, and they've had group feeding humpbacks, they've had um, humpbacks on every trip, they've had some good sea otter sightings, and so it was a really, really has been some good trips. Um, hopefully there's still whales by the time we get there. Um, I think there will be because the Inside Passage, I think probably hangs on to whales pretty good into October. I see some companies operating until mid-October, so I'm hopeful that we'll still have good whale sightings all the way down. And from Wrangell, we go out to Sitka, which I think is one of my favorite stops on the whole trip. I really like the town of Sitka. Um, and there's a really good drop off of the continental shelf going in and out of Sitka. And so it can be a really interesting place for whales. We've seen killer whales there. We've seen humpback whales there every single time we've been there. Um, usually doll's porpoise, sometimes harbor porpoise. Uh, earlier in the season, we had seen beaked whales there. So really, really cool. And, uh, I, I like walking around in Sitka. I think it's really beautiful. And over at the National Park, um, which is a nice scenic walk from the harbor, the pink salmon have been running up the Indian River. And this last time we were there, I took my GoPro with me to the river and I walked down like the trail and then went off trail down to the riverbank. And I was able to film like big, big groups of salmon uh, swimming there and it was really incredible I mean it was raining and I was by myself and I didn't care I was still there standing in the rain for like almost an hour filming fish just because like I don't know like I grew up in the Pacific Northwest but we don't really get to see like a salmon run like that like yeah there are a lot of salmon at Willamette Falls like not that far from where my parents live but You don't get to see them, like, bunched up like that in real shallow water where it's crystal clear and you can see everything that's happening. So I I just find it fascinating. I love watching the fish go up the river. I think it's really cool. And there were eagles and ravens around, and part of me was like, hmm, if I was a bear, I would be right here. But it was a really busy day in the park when I was down there. So even though I was by myself, I did have bear spray with me. Um, but also just up the river from me, the park staff was using like heavy machinery. So I, if I was a bear, I'd wait till everyone was gone for the day. So I don't think I was putting myself in danger, but I did have that moment where I was like, Hmm, this is a good spot for a bear. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I don't know if the fish, I think the fish will be done running by the time we get there this time, but I'm still going to walk down there with my GoPro and go check it out and just see what's going on. And um, from Sitka, we, as we go north, we go offshore and we work our way up to Icy Bay. And um, most of the season, we haven't really been able to go very far into Icy Bay because of, you guessed it, the ice. Uh, There are three very busy glaciers, especially Goyote Glacier, that um, calves a lot of ice and makes a lot of really big brash ice that's really hard to drive through um, throughout most of the summer. But that being said, we did have a clearance on the first trip to get into Fjord and go look at Tyndall Glacier, and that was the first time that ship had ever been down in there. I think that might have been the first time that pilot had ever taken a ship down in there, so it's pretty cool, because if you Google Fjord or Tyndall Glacier or Icy Bay, what's going to come up is news from 2015, when basically half a mountain fell down onto the glacier and then into the water, and it made a huge tsunami. Um, the tsunami wave was 600 feet high inside... Ton Fjord, and registered as a 4.7 magnitude earthquake on seismometers on the east coast of the United States. So pretty incredible force of nature, and we got in there, and you could see the collapsed mountainside, and you could see, like, the scars from the tsunami wave, and you're like, we would be dead. (laughs) Like, if we were in here when that happened, we would be dead. Um, And so... That was cool, but also like unsettling. And I think I talked about this on the previous episode as well, because I recorded it right after we went in there. Um, But then the last time we were in Icy Bay, there was so much ice clearance that we actually got all the way to the face of Goyote Glacier, um, which was pretty amazing. There was a lot of waterfalls um, that was meltwater coming from underneath the glacier, which is also like kind of scary to drive Year, but also really cool. And we had some pretty good sightings of harbor porpoise in there a few times, and we had uh, sea otters, harbor seals, and then outside of Icy Bay two different times on the last rotation, we had sightings of killer whales, including one that has a really distinct split in the top of his fin. I think he's identified potentially as a transient named Andy, Um, and so people are looking at those IDs and they're going to confirm that, um, hopefully sometime soon. So Icy Bay is a good place to look for killer whales. Um, we might've seen them on all three trips. Actually, the first Northbound, they were really distant. We didn't get good looks at them, but the other two trips, we actually did pretty well. We see, we saw them pretty well between Icy Bay and Yakutat. So, yeah, we'll see what happens when we go down there again. And then from Icy Bay, we cut across the Gulf of Alaska, and we go to Kodiak. And Kodiak is um, it's a pretty interesting place to go in and out of. I think it's a really beautiful transit, depending on like which route the pilot takes us in and out of there and what the weather's doing. Um, we did see uh one morning we didn't really see a whole lot but it was just really really beautiful but it was like low light and foggy one morning there was one humpback whale uh close to the pass where we go through the little islands towards the main harbor there's always loads of sea otters there there's lots of harbor seals it's also a great place to see puffins Um, And then the last time we went in there, we had fin whales, we had humpback whales, and we had killer whales going in and out of there. And actually some guests saw killer whales from the park. And then when we left, we went by the park on our way out and we saw the killer whales again. So pretty cool um, and interesting sighting. And then we got to cut through on one of the trips, we got to cut through the middle of the Kodiak Island set and um, take a shortcut on our way over towards... Geographic Harbor and Katmai National Park, and it was a really beautiful transit, nice sunset, and uh, of course the fog does funny things when you're around all those mountains, but it's also really pretty. So from Kodiak, then we go to Katmai National Park. Um, the first two trips we did cruising in a place called Kenak Bay, and we did Geographic Harbor. Um, and those that our main focus for that day is brown bears, so looking for coastal brown bears and um the first two trips there were no salmon yet and so the bears were like down at the beach digging for clams and like just checking for fish but um there weren't that many of them and the rivers were really quiet the third time we went we didn't go into kenak because the river had changed a lot between our first two trips and that was only a couple weeks apart And it's really shallow and really tricky navigation in there. And so having all of our Zodiacs in there at the same time is just, like, not optimal experience for guests. And then also it's just not really the easiest for navigation. And so it's just, like, it's much better to just spend more time in Geographic Harbor. And the last time we were there, there were quite a few bears, um, mostly around the river area. And they were moving around a lot. So each time we went in there was different, you know, it was, like, really had to manage expectations for guests and be like, we did see bears, multiple bears on the last trip. However, we're going to be happy with just one bear on this trip if that's all we get, you know? Um, And I, I do think that brown bears are kind of endearing. We had a really cute mom with two cubs on one of our trips and she was eating barnacles and mussels and her little babies were being really cute and like carrying sticks around and stuff. And then we had another bear that was just, like, patrolling the beach. And, like, he would stop and, like, dig for a clam. And then finally he just laid down and put his legs out behind him like a dog. And it was so cute. Um, And then sometimes, like, they're just, like, they've been feeding. And then they just sit down. (laughs) They're just like, "Ah, I'm just going to take a break for now. Um, So it's pretty funny. I've never really spent that much time around bears. The only other time I've seen a brown bear was in Yellowstone. And it was, like, chasing a buffalo next to our car bison next to our car and so that was like a really fleeting and like adrenaline rush type experience but I've never like really gotten to hang out with like a brown bear and like see what brown bears do with their day so that was pretty interesting um, it's definitely a stressful day for me as a driver because the conditions are tough um, can get really windy and it's really shallow and it's like the trip is sold. like see bears and like that's the bear day and so like the expectations are high to deliver on bears Um, so far we've had good success and now i hope there's still quite a few salmon typically it's very famous for sockeye salmon like that's where fat bear week is is in katmai national park in a different location than geographic harbor but the salmon we saw were pinks so i don't know if the sockeye like are still coming if they're running now We'll be there in like less than two weeks, like less than 10 days. So I guess we'll find out. And so from Geographic, uh, the marine mammals you see is uh, mostly sea otters, sometimes harbor seals and harbor porpoise. Um, And then from Geographic, we go along the Aleutians. And as we go west, the next stop is Chignik. I think, and Chicknicks an interesting place. We're still trying to like figure out if we, what we're doing there. Um, it's a community visit and it's a really, really small community, like so small that like their school didn't open this fall because there's not enough kids to go to the school. <laughs> um, the postmaster like lives at the post office. Like it's a really, really, really small place. Um, The fire chief also, like, helps deliver the mail to the airport and, like, manages the ships coming in and, like, pretty much anything else that needs to be done. Bear patrol, whatever. Um, So it's kind of interesting, like, once you understand how the whole place works. um, But it's not a very big place, and they have had a lot of bears on the perimeter. So we haven't really let... Guests roam around a whole lot. Luckily, the weather's been pretty good all the times we've been there. Um, There's some nice marsh area. There's a little, you know, seashore area. We try and do a little science on shore session there. Um, We have seen quite a few sea otters there. We did see river otters there. Um, Lots of wildflowers earlier in the summer. But yeah, Chignik's kind of an interesting stop. And then from Chignik, we go to the abandoned Unga village. Um, Unga was an island that was settled by a Greek guy, and over the years, uh, people tried to fit commercially fish there. They tried to mine for gold there. And unfortunately, it's just, just the history of Alaska very boom bust. You know, they make a lot of money for a while and everything's going good and then the money runs out and they just abandon it. So it's a ghost town now. One of the stories about the place and why it got abandoned, um, I can't really ground truth the source of this information, but it the story we were told by somebody who apparently had researched it was that there was an earthquake, a really big earthquake that... Um, Change the seafloor around the like natural harbor and so now the ships can't get into the natural harbor and so they no longer had a way to offload any of their exports whether that was fish or gold or whatever Um, and so the people just like left everything and it is kind of like walking through like a, a museum but it's an island outside like the buildings are all falling down there's still like a generator in one of them there's also a herd of cattle that have been left on the island, and apparently there's some sort of like Siberian cow that like can handle tundra plants, and are very hardy. And I think if you look up the type, they're like Yakut cattle or something like that. And they, um, you can use them for milk, dairy, and for working. Or excuse me, milk, meat, and for working. And so they're like a multi-purpose, like rugged cow, <laughs> and they're huge. And they make, like, this weird sound. Like, it is not, like, a moo, like a normal cow. Like, the first few times I heard them calling across the island, I was, like, looking around, like, what is making that noise? Because there's, like, sometimes, like, planes and, like, other boats and stuff. And it was just, like, it was wild, like, the sound that they would make. And it's, like, their call to each other. The last time we were in Unga, some people told us that they, like, some fishermen told our crew that two bears had swum over from Sand Point. So there were also bears on the island, which I don't know if that's necessarily true because those cows are like the same size as a bear. And I feel like from a distance, they look like bears, but these guys seem to be pretty convinced that there were bears. I don't, I don't really know. The fishermen that were there were like foraging and like resting. So I don't know if they were like digging up roots or what. There are some plants there that are medicinal and are edible. So I don't know, but Unga's kind of a cool spot to explore and like do a nature landing, but it's also a really good place for whales. Oh my gosh, we have seen so many whales coming in and out of Unga, like hundreds of whales this season. We've seen humpbacks, we've seen fin whales, we've seen killer whales, we've seen doll's porpoise, we've seen so many whales, and so it's definitely a place I'm looking forward to getting back to one more time just to see who's still hanging around as we go south on this last trip. Um, and then from Unga we go to Dutch Harbor. I don't know, I'm getting them all mixed up now, but somewhere, yeah, I think it's to Dutch Harbor after that. And Dutch Harbor is also a really good place for whales. We have seen a lot of whales going in and out of there also, mostly humpbacks. Um, and Dutch Harbor is the place where we cross the Aleutians, whether we're going from the Bering Sea to the Gulf of Alaska or the other way around, and going through um akatan pass is an interesting place we go past Unimak pass which i wish we would go through there just one time just to say we did it but we've been going through akatan pass which is a really good place to see whiskered ocklets i didn't know those were a thing google it oh my god they're so funky looking and so cool and we have seen them and it's been awesome it is getting late in the year though so i don't think we're gonna have too many interesting ocklet sightings now because they're like off their nests Um, and very widely distributed out at sea now and uh dutch harbor is also like a community visit we have like a hop on hop off bus schedule for people um all it's all right to me like it's there's not like a whole lot for me to do there that like job wise that day so i kind of just wander around and look at bald eagles and like help people get to where they need to go um It's a nice little place to visit. It's really, really beautiful, really super, super green and very famous from the Deadliest Catch. So um, some of the ships are there and are actively working and you'll see lots of fish processing and uh, container ship offloading and stuff like that. So it's definitely an interesting spot in Alaska to stop and like check out how Alaska life is in these really remote places. Um, We have seen some really interesting whales outside of Unga and Dutch Harbor, including um, quite a few whales new to science. Um, a lot of the IDs are still being processed. And then we also had two mom and calf pairs outside Dutch Harbor. And we were able to get fluke IDs on the mom and at least one calf, but maybe both calves once everybody gets their data in. And so that's pretty cool to be able to report from these really, really remote places and have interesting data like that to give Um, to people. So the funding for actual like scientific efforts of the Aleutians for humpback whales um, hasn't happened since like 2012. So covering that area for the first time in over a decade was really, really cool to be able to see, you know, where are these whales going? Are they new to science? Um, What's the gap in sightings? And a lot of the whales are very sparsely seen. And uh, almost half of them go to Mexico, which I was very surprised by. Like I actually was talking to Ted about it and he was like, oh yeah, about 40% of our sightings are actually Mexico whales out there. And I was like, what? I guess I just like really didn't pay attention before. And then once we started getting all these pings back to Mexico, I was like, what is going on here? And he's like, oh yeah, that lines up with like what we expect. So pretty cool to see and um, it's been very fun to like look at the happy whale matches and see where these whales have been and as we go north uh, from Dutch Harbor we go through the Bering Sea and two of our trips we were able to go to St. Paul Island in the Pribilofs and it was pretty interesting the first time we went there um, no one had been there since COVID and we didn't get a hold of like the right people for the port until like super last minute so the first like few hours we were there it was like the staff just trying to figure out like what are we going to do here get a lay of the land like figure out where people are going meet with the locals and that morning they had harvested fur seals so that's part of their subsistence harvest it's approved it's government signed off on it's monitored there's a quota um, it's food that they use, it's the skins that they use. And so it's it's all above board and it's um, heavily regulated and monitored. Um, and so we decided to also not have guests go to shore during the harvest because we weren't really sure like what to expect and we didn't really know how the guests were gonna react to it. And then also we didn't wanna like be in the way, you know? like. This is all very last minute that we're here like we don't want to disrupt your thing like just go do your thing and we'll land our guests on shore afterwards like no need to just like have all that happen at one time and so we didn't go like on as long of a walking route and we didn't flag off as big of a path just because we were still trying to figure it out ourselves um, but there were fur seals hauled out on some of the beaches there were foxes everywhere um, it was misty and it rained, <laughs> but it was um, it was a good visit. It was interesting. And then the second time we were there, it couldn't have been a more perfect day. Like, it was just barely breezy. It was sunny. It was fairly warm. And we got to go all the way down to the fur seal haul-out area where there's a viewing blind that's been built for people to go and access and, like, observe the seals. And it was really, really cool. Like, it was a whole first northern fur seal haul out which was like yes I've seen elephant seals yes I've seen California sea lions but for me it was like the first time I'd seen them up close in person I'd only ever really seen them like out at sea and that's not really the best way to like get a sense of how the animal is and there were still pups like being nursed by their moms and so it was really it was so cool like I never thought I would get to go to the Pribilofs ever as naturalists. Like, I know there are northern fur seal breeding colonies, like, further south down the west coast, but, like, it's not like the Pribilofs in the Bering Sea. And they have had a huge population collapse over the last couple decades, but there was still, like, probably two or 3,000 seals on the beach, and it, it was really, really amazing. And I'm super glad that we were able to pull it off and, like, do so in a pretty respectful way and we had a local guide available and it was really cool um and then also i i've seen the foxes like in the morning i was part of the scouting party on the second trip and um we saw lots of foxes because we're the first people to like walk down the road for the day um but i didn't take any pictures because it's like i'm supposed to be like flagging out the route and like looking for hazards and all this stuff and so I went back to the ship in the middle of the day to like change over what I was doing for the day. And one of the other guides got in the Zodiac with me to go to shore and she's like, have you seen any foxes today? And I was like, yeah, I've seen lots of foxes today, but I didn't take any pictures of them and just like kind of talked to her about like what I was doing all day. She's like, I really want to see a fox. And I was like, okay, well, I I heard from the local guide. It's good to look around the Harbor. So we come into the first breakwater And out pops this fuzzy little animal out of the break wall. And it was a fox. And it had this really cool color pattern where I don't know if it was like changing for the first time into its winter coat. But it was like black and white spotted with an all black head. And it was super cute. And it just like stood there and stared at us. And so we got to have a nice little fox moment coming into the harbor. Also St. Paul Harbor, you can tell how rough their weather is. They have five breakwaters. (laughs) And then... The guy that was, like, hanging around the harbor the first time, I asked him, like, well, what do you guys do in the winter? Like, you know, just kind of asking chit chat. And he was like, oh, we take these docks out. They're, like, collapsible. And you can see they have, like, hinges on them. And he's like, because we get ice, but also it gets rough. And I was like, I can tell. You have five breakwaters. It must get rough in here. (laughs) So that was St. Paul Island. And then... Um, On our transit between Dutch Harbor and St. Paul, we did see um, a lot of whales and a couple really big aggregations of shearwaters. We had one time where we had like a mile-long line of shearwaters. We estimated the flock was like over 52,000 short-tailed shearwaters, and there was surface-feeding humpbacks in the middle of it, which was really amazing and really cool. Um, another night we stayed out until sunset, which was like past 11 PM. And there were fin whales and maybe a say whale and humpbacks and big flocks of like three, 400 birds all spread out. And just hearing like, it was so calm and hearing them just like <tick, tick, 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 running across the water. It's probably one of my favorite sounds, um, ever is just hearing sheer waters run across the water. And so that was really cool. Um, we also between... Between Dutch Harbor and St. Paul, we had killer whales on our last northbound three different times in one day. And our last sighting of the day were, I think, resident killer whales. They were in a pretty big group, like 10 to 15 at least, probably more. Very scattered out and like would zip around back and forth to each other and like make a group and then separate. And they were kind of surface active and they had open saddles. And so I asked Emma Luck, who's like natu- the the Northern Naturalist, I think is what her handle is on social media. Yeah. And she's one of the killer whale um, experts for the Alaska area. And I started doing research online and I was like, okay, obviously, Northern residents, Southern residents. Yes, I know this. This is way out of the range of Northern residents. So I started looking at the papers from. NOAA and like the population designations from NOAA. And there's a third resident type in Alaskan waters, which I had no idea about called an Alaskan resident. Apparently it's like over a thousand individual killer whales. It probably needs to be broken into two groups. Um, but there's obviously not a lot of data about it. And surprise, surprise, the catalog has not been updated since 1997. Um, but I did put the, um, IDs into happy whale. So hopefully Emma can look at them and maybe confer with some others and see if at least we can narrow down for sure. If they are residents, we were also in like 2000 feet of water. So they could be technically offshores. I mean, offshore killer whales have been observed there. Um, but I am leaning more towards residents, which is super cool. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. And then we saw them and then I researched it and was like, Oh, okay, here we go. Um, And then as we went up between St. Paul and St. Matthew, we had more whales. We had Doll's Porpoise. Um, We did land on St. Matthew Island twice. The third trip, the weather was horrible, and so we did not land. Um, But we did get to land twice on the northeast side of St. Matthew Island. We did some beach cleanups while we were there. Um, And we also got to see the McKay's bunting, which is like a super rare endemic bird to Alaska that a lot of birders get very excited about. Um, And it was really interesting to be on St. Matthew, just like this place that no one ever seemed to be able to make a living on in the middle of the Bering Sea. And we picked up as much trash as we could. Trash is a very touchy subject on ships because... You don't get to just throw it away wherever you are. And so our trash was pretty full, um, but our expedition leader made it a priority to do a big cleanup the first time we were there because no one goes there. And so all this trash has just been sitting there for who knows how long. And if we're gonna go to these remote places, we should leave them in better shape. Then we found them. And so we did pick up like two Zodiacs full worth of trash. Most of it was fishing gear. Um, And all the usable floats and buoys we donated to fishermen in Nome. So the harbor master, we asked him when we got to port, hey, like we have like 30 fishing floats. They're all in good shape for the most part. Um, Do you know any fishermen that would make use of them? And he said, absolutely. Give them all to me and also give me any of your recyclables. We'll take it and it was perfect, and so um, at first the, <laughs> the bridge team was not stoked on how much stuff we brought back to the ship, but we got rid of it pretty quickly because Gnome's our next stop after St. Matthew, and so um, I'd like to be able to pick up more stuff off the island if we can, but um, I don't know if the weather's going to cooperate on this trip, if we're going to be able to land there or not. We'll see what happens. Um, lots of fog in the Bering Sea in general, um, so that was made it tricky. Um, we did see between St. Matthew and Nome, or maybe between okay. St. Paul and St. Okay. Matthew, we saw a whale one day that had a, we had a really nice um, set of photos for. And we were able to auction that whale off on our second trip. And a guest named it after me. So um, one of the things we've started to do on the Herdigruten ships is auction off the naming rights to a whale. And Ted has been super cool about um, including Herdigruten Foundation in the list of marine organizations you can donate to to win the naming rights for a whale. So you can name a whale and Happy Whale if you want by donating at least $500 to an ocean conservation organization of your choice and sending the donation receipt to Happy Whale to show that you donated and then send them the information of the whale you want to name and what you want to name it. So we've been doing that through our charity auction for Herder Gruden Foundation and we were able to successfully auction three whales when I was on board. One whale was new to science and two whales were um, rarely seen and they were unnamed. And on the second trip, this lady outbid a lot of other people and it was a really exciting auction and then I went over to get her Contact information to send to Ted and, you know, was telling her thank you so much for donating and, like, what do you want to name the whale? And she was at first, she's like, I'm not really sure. And I was like, well, think about it. Just come find me tomorrow. And another guest walked by and she said, she said to, to her in German, so I didn't catch it right away, but she said, name it after her. And the lady looked at me and said, yes. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, we're naming the whale Caitlin. And I was like, what? And I like got really red and sweaty and like, didn't know what to do. I was like, "This is you can't name the whale after me. This is too much." And I was like, "I can't." And she was like, "Yes, of course. Like your passion, you love whales. Like I'm, I'm. The reason I bid on it is because of you. Like I'm so inspired." And so, she named a whale after me. So there's a whale named Caitlin in the Happy Whale database. You can look it up. <laughs> I think that's like the highest honor I could ever get. As a marine biologist, (laughs) I've already, I've already like topped off my career. Who needs a PhD? Just, I have a whale named after me. (laughs) So that was, yeah, amazing. And um, another interesting sighting we had on the west side of St. Lawrence, we saw a humpback whale. So we got to document a whale in Russian waters, which is pretty cool. We have not had any matches to the Western Pacific breeding grounds yet. But I'm I'm just waiting for one to ping back being matched to Japan or something. Because we're so far in the Aleutians. There's got to be one. There's got to be at least one. There's been some new Japanese data put into Happy Whale. I'm really hopeful. So we'll see. Um, And then going into Nome. The last couple times. The first time... Was relatively smooth. It was foggy and cold, um, but the sea conditions were pretty nice. The second time we actually cut our trip short and did not go around St. Lawrence Island. We just cut from St. Matthew straight to Nome and arrived about 18 hours early because the harbor master called us or we called them just to check in about the weather. And he said, It's a very good chance that I will be closing the harbor tomorrow. So you should be here before I do that. So we changed our whole game plan and we arrived in Nome early. And um, yeah, we were able to get alongside the dock. The boat didn't get stuck, <laughs> but it was close. We banged up, up against the dock quite a bit that night, um, but it was okay. And everybody was pretty good sports about it. So that is the middle of the Alaska season doing the Aleutians and the Bering Sea. Um, lots of other interesting things to talk about and spin off more about, I'm sure I'll do more research about those killer whales and maybe do like a mini episode or something about them at some point, hopefully. But I think that's all I have for this episode. Um, So thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to get back out there tomorrow and see what's happening. And I'll let you know all about it once we're done. From Vancouver, we're actually going to go south to San Diego as well. So be a very interesting set of cruises going southbound down the whole west coast of North America almost. But I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much. Have a good day and see you later.